Centuries of freedom have taught us to think in terms of continuous improvement of an always better future. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. I'm Matthew Hausbarby, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Austin Knight. Hey, Matt, and hello to everyone listening to us. All right, before we get started into one of our regular segments, I just want to give a shout out to those of you that have taken the time to leave us a rating and review on the many different podcasting platforms out there. Me and Austin were checking out some of the different reviews, which we, we haven't really read through these in some time. And I, I, we, we've actually had some really nice feedback lately uh, from, from listeners. So I want to say a big thank you. One of our listeners, Jeff, thank you if you're listening. Uh, you wrote on the, on the Apple Podcast Store that uh, really enjoying this podcast, Matthew and Austin approach the topic from a place of technical and intellectual curiosity. That does not sound like us, uh, Austin, at all. Uh, <laughs> not from investing greed, which makes it the only financially themed podcast I've ever been able to tolerate. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you, Jeff. I'm glad that you've been able to tolerate us, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I mean, that's exactly what we're going for, right? So I take that as a huge compliment personally. Uh, we had 100%. another awesome one from Eric over in Wisconsin, where he actually said that we are, quote, the podcast that crypto deserves. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, considering how the market is going. <laughs> yeah, crypto's gone to shit. So I guess this podcast is pretty much what everyone deserves right now. <laughs> With that said, Eric goes on to say, quote, it's refreshing to find a podcast that is focused on quality content instead of marketing themselves. Keep it up, guys. And I can say we'll certainly do our best to keep it up. Um, as most of you know, we run the podcast actually out of our own pocket. So we don't run ads or accept any kind of sponsored or paid for interviews uh, so that we can avoid any bias in these conversations that we have. Yeah, this is something that we're both really passionate about. We talked about it a lot um, when we first decided that we were going to start up this podcast, we'd, I think we've talked about this a bunch before. We've read countless articles online that are clearly just paid for promotions that haven't been disclosed. And so many podcasts are just full of ads, which I don't have a huge issue with ads, to be honest. I think that was just more of a choice on our part. We wanted to keep this away from being just full of a ton of uh, ads for that ruin the listening experience. But one thing we we do have an issue with is people paying to um, be seated and interviewed in a podcast. I think that that should be derived on merit uh, and merit alone. So yeah, and we and we hope that that's something that uh, for you, our listeners, that you you find valuable at least. And if you do find our weekly ramblings somewhat useful or at a bare minimum entertaining or tolerable, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. if, if you do get a spare moment once you finish listening to this episode, uh, we would we would genuinely be really, really thankful if you left us a rating, a written review um, on, on any podcast platform, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever, right? Like it, it really does help us. 
All right, that, that is enough uh, of the sales pitch from us. But, do you know, before we get started in some of the big news stories uh, from, from the past week, I wanted to surface <laughs> what has possibly been the best headline to a story I have genuinely seen in years. So I read this article the other day, and I legit laughed out loud. <laughs> so th- this, this is the headline of the article. A rat broke into an ATM ate nearly $20,000 worth of cash and died. What, what an incredible... <laughs> and it, it is exactly as it says in the headline. The, a rat got into an ATM machine where there is just tons of cash stored and it just went wild. Man, but it was like a capitalist rat. It was just like <laughs> eating up the cash. And they found... It, he th- This rat... Uh, I've gendered the rat. It's a man now. Man rat, apparently. The rat has just demolished through so much cash. And they have photos in this article. I'm going to share this out in the show notes. It's not even like that relevant, but it's just unbelievable. And it was in India. And there's just like shredded up cash all over the place. So yeah, what another great reason for us to run all of our cryptocurrency through a blockchain so we don't need to have the perils of rats eating our 1.2 million rupees um (laughs) if there was ever a reason to buy bitcoin it's i think it's that anti-rat currency i love this quote from the article where they say although investigators found no footage of a rat entering the machine after reviewing security cameras they later deemed that no foul play is suspected according to the hindustan times (laughs) what a conspiracy someone placed the rat to extract the money maybe it was a uh, an undercover rat uh that was posing as idle cash and was going to escape with a large amount of the ATM's money stores. Maybe this we is can only conspiracy. speculate. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess there was no suspicions of foul play, so it must have been a regular rat. Well, I mean, it's not a regular rat. That is some super rat that could demolish through that much cash. <laughs> <laughs> and and commit seppuku in the process. <laughs> <laughs> it just realized that. His life was never going to get better than this moment. (laughs) Just go out on a high. Oh, man. Well, our thoughts are with the rat and the rat's family. And on that note, let's jump into some of our main stories from the past week or so. So the first story that we'll be discussing actually has a close connection to one of our guests from a few episodes ago. The article uh, in question was titled Crypto King Who Bought BitTorrent Sinking $100 Million Into Putting Video Games on the blockchain. And this is actually in relation to Justin Sun, the founder of Tron, who actually bought BitTorrent in the summer of 2018 for $150 million from none other than Bram Cohen, who we actually mm. interviewed a few weeks back here. And and just to clarify, when we say crypto king, there is no crypto monarchy that we're referring to. <laughs> just, just this, this is just purely from the article. Justin Sun is not, in fact, the king of crypto. Although At he might to, want to be. <laughs> he might. He very well might want to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, after buying BitTorrent, he 
he's now said that he's going to be investing $100 million to build video games on the blockchain, which is interesting. I mean, the gaming industry is enormous. I think it's a matter of time before we've seen more and more. I guess it depends how we define a video game here on the blockchain. We certainly haven't necessarily seen that to date. But I mean, since one thing that is worth touching on here, right, is that it seems like Justin San, uh, the Tron team, and also now his acquired BitTorrent team have been trying to move as fast as possible with whether it's investing in new things, uh, ramping up what they're doing, but it hasn't been all kind of sunshines and rainbows. A a bunch of the key employees at BitTorrent have actually left. And I don't know about you, Austin, but I kind of got the vibe when we were speaking to Bram in the interview that he wasn't super into talking about that (laughs) that acquisition that much, was he? Yeah, I also think that he, you know, he's super happy with what he's accomplished and and now he's getting to chase other aspirations and he's probably not super concerned with what's happening over there at least just from our very short interaction. But you're you're right Matt that a number of key employees have left the company and kind of the reasons that they cite tend to range across a few different areas. Uh, according to some of the employees they they take issue with the sort of rapid expansion that has happened ever since Sun overtook the company. It has them a little worried. And at least since the acquisition, um, over 30 new positions have opened up on LinkedIn, ranging from recruiters to software engineers. So I wonder how big they even were before. Like, I can't imagine that the, the BitTorrent was like uh, more than a couple hundred maximum. I mean, I'm guessing here, but like it, it couldn't have been more than a hundred or so employees before that. So that's a pretty significant amount of new roles to jump up into that company, right? Yeah, I would think, I mean, I respect like the desire to expand quickly, but of course you want to do it in a healthy manner and mm-hmm. people are going to have disagreements about what that is going to mean at the end of the day, right? But at any rate, uh, many of the BitTorrent staff have said that the culture has changed, um, saying that there's been, you know, a big shift and it's a much less relaxed environment, which makes sense. That happens a lot of the time when there's an acquisition, especially if it's aggressive. Now, additionally, BitTorrent employees are also reportedly uncomfortable with how the node elections for the new Tron blockchain have taken place. This is fairly interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Out of the 27 elected nodes, Sun himself actually controls one directly and another four under Tron, though under different names like uTorrent, BitTorrent, Raybo, and Paywo, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, so I I think there are some some controversial things within there clearly that's that's going to really impact how you feel as a as a BitTorrent employee and i mean this is far from the only controversy that justin sun's been surrounded with certainly a lot of allegations um and i want to be clear that a lot of these are just allegations but all the same, these things are worth discussing, especially that Justin Sun, uh, the the new king in the crypto world, is going to be someone that we probably talk about more and more over the coming uh, months and years as they invest more in. But one of the big things, and I remember this at the time, was there were allegations of like plagiarism um, when Tron released their white paper, which Justin Sun worked on, which appeared to plagiarize from Filecoin. 
um, and IFPS, both file storage blockchain projects. IFPS, one of the one of the older ones, but Filecoin, probably one of the more popular ones. I remember us talking about that it, back in the summer of 2017. Um, I believe that was done through CoinList, the the team that also run AngelList. But the other thing, and slightly more concerning allegations outside of plagiarism, which is okay, that's concerning in itself. But the the more concerning claims, which have been that have really kind of like dogged the platform um, since launching in 2017 have been around pump and dump schemes. And the the short story here, we don't need to dig into this too much, has been like there's been big sell-offs in the run-up to supposedly major like announcements that have been created. So a lot of stuff there, it's fair to say Justin Sun has had a fair bit of controversy uh, surrounding him. Yeah. <laughs> With that said, I think that what they're proposing here is really interesting um, mm-hmm. to take in, uh, uh, you know, on its own merit. So VentureBeat spoke with Ray, Roy Liu, the company's head of business development, and Justin Sun about its next big step, which is, as we mentioned, blockchain games. And from the report, they said, quote, our mission is to bring the blockchain to mass market. Games led the way to make smartphones and virtual reality more accessible. Now it's happening with blockchain. Uh, this makes a lot of sense to me. I think that when Matt, uh, when we were first reviewing this article together, the the thing that came to my mind was uh, how websites like Addicting Games put the internet on the map. It it, it made yeah. it worthwhile for mm-hmm. a lot of people, as silly as that is. And and Lou actually made this comparison. He said that mobile platforms are a good comparison uh, to the state of blockchain right now. Since 2007, when the first iPhone was released, the market of mobile games has been continuously expanding to $70 billion. And Lou said that you can foresee the day when blockchain technology, which offers transparent and a secure decentralized ledger, will disrupt the global economic system, including games. What that actually means is still actually unclear to me. Uh, yeah. Matt, I don't know if you have like more thoughts on that. Yeah, but... I think that like it it sounds like a little bit fluffy around some of those things, right? Is like we want to slap blockchain onto this just giant industry, which has kind of been a recurring theme through the ICO boom. Uh, but I mean, if there's one thing that history has told us within emerging technologies is that gaming, gambling, and porn are the pretty much like the three <laughs> pillars of thing, of industry that really move technology forward, as, as sad this is as like that the is new, to say. It's the new gun, germs, and steel or something like that. It's like gaming, gambling, and porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and but the exact same thing has happened with blockchain, right? Like you you look at the likes of gambling and you've got like prediction markets like uh, Augur and and many, many others. I, rem- I think Mark Cuban did, what was it? Uh, Unicoin, another like major like esports and gambling. Uh, then porn, you've got things like Spank Chain, I think is one, <laughs> which is almost bizarre <laughs> to even say out loud. And then uh, we talked about this where uh, Pornhub partnered with, I think it was Verge, coin or um yeah yeah it was verge and uh integrated cryptocurrency into their platform and then on the gaming side and i kind of use the word gaming loosely here but arguably the most popular 
blockchain-based game, which we talked about a lot back in probably January, December time, was uh, of 2017, that is, uh, was CryptoKitties. And I mean, it peaked heavily in 2017. And a lot of people were saying like mid this year, activities kind of like fell off a cliff. And back in, I think, December of 2017, CryptoKitties was like the responsible for like the large majority of Ethereum transactions at the time. It, it almost completely drew the Ethereum uh, blockchain to a halt with the amount of traffic it was piling through. And even though the activities completely uh, flattened since then, it's still going. And earlier on in last month, November 2018, the CryptoKitties team actually received a a relatively sizable round of funding, $15 million. And it was from a bunch of reputable companies. Samsung's venture arm was was a big part of that. So I think so far, we've only really seen like tokenized collectibles, which is still gaming in that respect. But... As with nearly every single uh, emerging technology, there always has to be uh, that the first couple of things that enter become popular, usually die down. Then we see the next wave of interesting innovations. And I think that Justin Sun has probably looked at this space, seen the success of uh, games like CryptoKitties, and wants a piece of the pie, right? And I'm sure he's not the only one. So... I'm still unsure exactly how it's going to work outside of necessarily these tokenized games, but it, it, I mean, it's a, I'm almost certain that if blockchain does um, spread to the level of adoption that we're, that we're, that we believe, certainly us to believe that it, it can, gaming will almost certainly be a big part of that. Sure. All right, so um, that's going to be interesting. Another thing, and this this ties in, another story ties into um, adoption and could even play a part in the, the blockchain gaming industry to a certain extent. And this is a another example of a major player in the tech space, well-established company, the one of the largest companies in the world, probably going to be the largest company or most valuable company, at least in the world at some point soon, uh, is Amazon. And Amazon has launched a new service for building blockchains. Think of this as like blockchain as a service. And they're, they're launching this to help clients or companies, individuals develop blockchain networks without actually incurring the cost of creating their own bespoke platform. Um, I think this is quite interesting. They announced this recently at their reInvent conference, which I think they run every every year. Yeah. This, this one is so exciting to me and also so predictable, but in many ways, <laughs> a, a confirmation of a step that I knew was eventually going to have to be taken as this technology matures and comes into the mainstream. So I think that uh, Matt and I both saw this coming. It was a question of when and um, how, right? How robust mm-hmm. of an offering it's going to be. But of course, with AWS, you know, that that has brought the company, uh, I believe, six, a little over six and a half billion dollars in Q3 of 2018 alone. Uh, it makes sense in that they would quarter. want to get... 
that's, that's yeah, incredible. I mean, that isn't is it? that's yeah, that's insane. Uh, and so it makes sense that they would want to build uh, a, a sort of uh, portion of this platform uh, to within the blockchain space to get a foothold there. Uh, yeah. And and what they're calling it on their um, managed blockchain, they're they're calling it a managed blockchain. And on the page they say. <clears throat> Amazon's managed blockchain is a fully managed surface that makes it easy to create and manage scalable blockchain networks using the popular open source frameworks, Hyperledger Fabric and Ethereum. So Mm. you can either use Hyperledger Fabric or Ethereum to build your blockchain on. Yeah, well, it's worth actually noting in there that they you can right now build with Hyperledger Fabric, um, but Ethereum is not available right now but they do say it's coming soon to the service it's 100 percent going to be there they're just doing some final tweaks to it and it will be available soon one interesting thing in this is uh the they've went down like an open source route from a framework point of view but hyperledger fabric has it is basically like ibm's baby and yeah. Uh, they they had a huge hand in making this possible in conjunction with a number of other people. I know that Blockstream uh, had their hands in there. And an interesting little tidbit that I found out as well is that Hyperledger Fabric was a project that actually came from one of Intel's incubators. So it, it kind of seems like all of the big uh, tech giants are coming together to to have less of a a really like competitive attitude to this. They're all launching obviously their own services, but there's a lot more partnership between the big players. And I personally find it quite interesting that a lot of the more established tech companies, I mean, we talked with Jerry Cuomo uh, a, a few episodes ago from IBM and we we heard all about what they're doing, but that they're all launching a lot of these or at least making major announcements right in the middle of this like, bear market where prices are down it's not as sexy right now from an investment point of view and i wonder if that's kind of on purpose just to kind of take the expectation away take the added publicity away i kind of feel like that could be quite a smart move yeah i agree um i also i mean matt like with our experience in tech companies and everything we do know that to uh ramp up a service like this it's a multi-year effort right so i feel like this is probably something they've been working on for a while and it could even be a follow-up to uh those like weird domain registrations that we were seeing uh, around this time a year ago about that yeah i forgot about that there was like they registered what was it amazonbitcoin.com yep. or amazonethereum.com amazonlitecoin.com yep. a bunch of weird registrations going back to amazon and people were speculating that it would mean that they would soon accept the currency which i think is still a very real possibility in the future um but i think that this could also you know maybe at least be tied to some of the teams that were behind those moves oh definitely i i mean i think we'd be idiots to assume that this was a last minute thing that they thought, oh, all of a sudden Bitcoin, blockchain, cryptocurrency is getting popular. Let's go. They're, they'll have been well, well ahead of this. Sure. So yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see with the fact that AWS is becoming a larger portion of Amazon's overall business. This makes sense um, in terms of a move that they have the ability to kind of flex their muscles here um, with minimal 
risk. Now, one thing that is worth just uh, closing off on this is that uh, the service is actually currently in preview. So that means that those that are interested, like if if you're listening now and you find this interesting, you want to check it out, you can go and sign up. You have to go through an approval process, but once you've been approved, you'll be able to go create a blockchain network. And at that point, they can either, Amazon that is, can either invite in other AWS members, Amazon Web Services that is, by the way, or, uh, and, and I take this from their, their FAQs, this little quote, or they can uh, create more members in your account to simulate a multi-member network. So it almost feels like uh, what they're trying to do here is give you not only the ability to build a network, but kind of give you like some kind of testing environment and just start stimulating more people building on this platform that are just getting their feet wet with it. So definitely interesting to see where this goes. I think it will be cool if we could get someone on the show maybe in a few weeks from Amazon that's running some of their initiatives there and we can hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, drafting off of this high of a story, I think uh, we're, we have no choice but to take it down a notch and talk about something mm. very real that I uh, it seems to make this technology hit you know even closer to home in terms of it entering the real world. And that's a story coming out of South Africa where a man was beaten, drugged, and tortured for Bitcoin, as crazy as that sounds. So on November 16th, a Bitcoin trader in South Africa was invited to do a presentation on Bitcoin at a private residence after being reached out to on Facebook. He showed up, entered the residence, and then someone approached him from behind and stuck a cloth, which is presumed to be drug infested in his face, after which he passed out unconscious. Um, this is pretty scary. (laughs) Yeah, that is really real. That that's awful. I mean, like you read this back, right. And you go like a a Bitcoin trader in South Africa was invited to do a presentation on Bitcoin at a private residence after being reached out to via Facebook. It's easy to go, oh man, there's some alarm bells there. But actually when you really think about how this industry works right now, a lot of this stuff is pretty casual. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, granted, we know, like, you know, uh, as people that have spent time in South Africa, that the personal si- the personal security situation there mm-hmm. um, isn't, you know, quite the way that it is in other places. So I assume that this trader knew that he was taking a risk, maybe a calculated risk. Yeah. But uh, at any rate, yeah, he, he did end up passing out and then he awoke in a different residence. And there... <sighs> He was surrounded by five people, two women and three men. And according to police reports, he was stripped of his clothing, tortured and assaulted. And during this, the group that orchestrated this whole thing and kidnapped him demanded his FNB, First National Bank, it's a big bank in South Africa and around the world, Mm -hmm. account details uh, so that they could get into his bank account as well as his Bitcoin password. And they actually burned him with a hot iron and threatened to kill him if he did not provide the information. That is crazy. Yeah, that is really, really rough. And yeah, it seems like he went through a fair bit of torture. He sustained burn wounds all over his body. And at the time, he he actually caved in and transferred over, I think it was between 10 and 16 
uh, Bitcoin at the time, which was worth around about 57, 60K in USD. That's 800,000 Rand, um, which is the South African currency. Um, and then actually uh, 100,000 Rand. So about 7,000 USD of currency directly from his bank account. And just to put this into perspective, because for all of this, you may be thinking, although like 60K is clearly still a lot of cash in USD. It's probably it's also what you would not quite enough what I would think about to associate with a risk uh, being taken like this for uh, for the the people that are behind this. But when you look at the average monthly wage in South Africa, it's around about twenty thousand rand. So that's about one thousand four hundred USD. So the it, that does become significant. Other cash on his person was taken from him, two laptops, two iPhones. Um, then he was just blindfolded, dropped off on the side of the road. And yeah, I mean, that's terrifying. And it, I don't think we want to strike the fear into into our audience. We've, we've touched on this a bit before, right? Like hypotheticals. We uh, talked about where you should store your cryptocurrency to make sure it's safe. And the, it, it sounds like, I don't know all the details here, but he was grilled for, and it said in the article is Bitcoin password versus his private key. And that might just be uh, terminology that the articles used to make it more accessible to, to the to the public, but it may be that he actually had this uh, stored within like an online account within an exchange that he was able to access because I mean, if I was in this situation, like I wouldn't I wouldn't have my private key available to even give this information over, which is another thing um but it's worth saying in our, what series one i think it was like our fourth or fifth episode i could be completely wrong but it was definitely series one we talked about how to store cryptocurrency uh safely and securely and we touched on some of this stuff yeah i i think still this is a case where you can't we can't blame the victim here though even no so way. like of course there's yeah. safe ways to store your currency but um, when you're, he sustained burn wounds to his hands, legs, buttocks, and torso. And that was like after he got to the hospital and it was verified by a medical examiner mm. that he went through a lot. And if anything, I actually imagine somebody in this situation would hope that they had their private key or the password oh, to the exchange wow, or yeah. whatever it was. Um, and I, th and I think that the, the real takeaway for me here was that, you know, when we think of like person to person crime and robbery, um, we do think of the stuff like that, he, you know, that he was robbed of, like his 3000 Rand that he had in cash, his two laptops, his iPhones. But you think a little bit less about, um, you know, currency being withdrawn from a bank account and even less about somebody, you know, being uh, informed enough to extract Bitcoin from you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it, it really, to me, it flipped a lot of this dynamic on its head where it's like, oh, wait, like he actually became a target. Because he was talking about, you know, uh, Bitcoin related financial advice. And so you mm -hmm. can infer that he must have um, a certain amount of wealth to his name, you know, and, and we think about like people hiding their, you know, their traditionally garnered wealth. That's not a, that's not a very uncommon thing. Uh, for somebody to do, but the idea of hiding a cryptocurrency, yeah, that's that's a that's a little different, right? I guess it makes logical sense because it is a store of wealth, regardless in this context. Um, yeah. But but to think that that would be something that people would go after in such an orchestrated and a violent manner is uh, certainly shocking. 
Well, he probably, he must have feared for his life uh, at that point. And there's no way I'd be thinking at that point, oh man, I need to keep hold of this uh, (laughs) Bitcoin at any given chance. I'd be like, take it. Like, this is not worth me dying over um, or being like, even getting even worse scarring than I already had. So absolutely. One of the, just to close this up, one of the best bits of advice I've heard around how to think about personal safety in cryptocurrency. And I, and I, I do want to say, I don't want to, I really don't want to add fuel to the fire of getting people really panicked about this because there are just a lot of things that are just really out of your control. But I think this is a piece of good advice. And the what the advice is, is to, if you do own a significant amount of cryptocurrency and you have your private keys, whether they're stored in, in your home, whether they're stored in, um, you store currency in an exchange, like however you do that, right? Have the large majority of your cryptocurrency, your wealth, stored outside of your outside of a place you regularly access. So don't have that in your house. Don't have access to your private keys there. Ironically, a, a safety deposit box in a bank is probably a good place to to store those. But do keep some. And the the and the reason is very much for one of the points that you were just chatting about, uh, Austin. It's like having a separate um, wallet that contains maybe let's say uh, a fifth of your your wealth for situations like this, right? Yeah. Like where where we were talking about like you wish you did have something to give over. Yeah. And I feel like that's a balance where you have enough that you can give over some, but it's not going to kind of like completely uh, drain everything. And God forbid you're ever in a situation like this you at least have something that can kind of get you potentially out of this situation. So Absolutely. just a, a good bit of advice that I've heard uh, from a few few people that um, I've certainly thought about myself. Yeah, and this is a case where you can sort of take a, a, a lot of like age-old, you know, real-world concepts and apply them back to digital currency. Like everything that you were just ex- describing there, I did uh, exactly the same thing in uh, with fiat currency while I was living in Brazil. And uh, whenever mm. I travel to a place where there's higher risk of person-to-person crime, you have a dummy wallet and a dummy phone. Um, so a, a wallet with maybe like, you know, your old driver's license in it and, uh, you know, old old credit cards, canceled credit cards, and maybe like $50 in cash and then a, a dummy phone that you can get, give over when you're robbed. And then you store emergency cash somewhere else on your person. Um, and wow, I that, didn't know. Did would did you used to just have that on you, uh, like most of the time when you were in Brazil? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, uh, uh, whenever, like, especially whenever I felt that I was going to a place where I yeah. was under threat, I would take the dummy phone and I would actually like leave my real phone at home, um, mostly just because it would be an inconvenience if that happened to get stolen as well. Um, and then take the dummy wallet. And then at least for me personally, um, I always had 50 Brazilian reais, uh, stored under the sole of my shoe, like in between Mm -hmm. the, like the bottom of the shoe and the insole, like that pad that you step on. Um, now that like some people would say that that's, you know, a little bit extreme, but especially, um, as somebody that is like visibly identifiable as a foreigner, that's a smart thing to do. Right. And so I think that, you know, what you were describing there, Matt, like you could think of the same thing with your cryptocurrency, like keeping a small amount close of close to you that you're willing to give up if you get into a terrible situation and then keeping the real, you know, store somewhere else. 
Yeah, oh, I think that's really, really good advice. Yeah, awful thing to to have to think about and discuss, especially the story we've been through. But it can happen to anyone, right? I, I think that like it's easy to say, oh, this happened in South Africa. I mean, there is going to be other situations like this, and it's not isolated to cryptocurrency as well. I think that at minimum, you should not ignore things like this. Uh, but at the same space, uh, at the same time, you shouldn't like fret about this every day. Use good practices, do whatever you can, and just basically try and avoid the amount of situations you put yourself in that could result in a compromising situation. But enjoy and live your life at the same time. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Don't forget that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So building off of that, back to something interesting like the Amazon story, we've got another big player with some big news in the blockchain space. And this is related to a patent that Intel actually won for energy efficient Bitcoin mining, which has been a huge mm. topic for us on this show because we always like run into this issue with this technology that it's not very green, right? A, a lot of yeah. the the proof of work or proof of stake or whatever algorithms that you can use uh, to secure the blockchain and reward miners, they can cause weird things to happen like Bitcoin using more energy than the entire nation of Ireland. And that <laughs> attracts the attention of the wrong people. So uh, interestingly, yeah. on Tuesday, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office actually awarded Intel a patent outlining a processor which claims to be able to conduct energy efficient, high performance Bitcoin mining. I find that really interesting because what well, like for example when we were talking to Bram Cohen right like he has uh, his uh, since moving on from BitTorrent he launched Chia and their whole focus is like environmentally friendly cryptocurrency like but the way that they've approached this is they're changing the consensus algorithm they have proof of time and proof of space instead of proof of work which is all focused around high energy consumption. And what Intel seem to be trying to do here is instead of saying, we're going to redefine the proof of work and it's going to only be available on a different blockchain, a different cryptocurrency, they're saying, we're going to take, we're going to take like the, the, the current most popular consensus system, proof of work, and it actually specifically names the SHA-256 algorithm that's used by Bitcoin. And they're going to focus on the, the hardware that is powering the cryptocurrency mining and make that incredibly energy efficient. Now, how much of an impact this can, can make is debatable, but I think that it's really good that we're seeing this being attacked from both sides, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, per the patent, it also mentions that Bitcoiners may, Bitcoin miners rather, may be rewarded by receiving a block reward and transaction fees. So it looks like they're working out that dynamic. Mm, However, okay. the, uh, the Bitcoin mining machines that are typically used right now do require uh, hardware accelerators, such as ASIC chips, as we have mentioned before in the case with ASIC miners. And uh, as we said, they therefore require a large amount of energy. So according to this patent, quote, dedicated Bitcoin mining ASICs are used to implement multiple SHA-256 engines that may deliver a performance of thousands of hashes per second while consuming power greater than 200 watts. That's sort of like, I think, the problem that they're identifying. Mm -hmm. Embodiments 
of the present disclosure employ a micro-architectural optimization, including selective hardwiring, certain parameters in Bitcoin mining computation. Okay, so that was like- well, that a was a mouthful. Of, that was a, a <laughs> ma- major jumble. But I think that the important words there are selective hardwiring of certain yeah. parameters. Yeah, it seems like the, the hardwiring these parameters would actually lower the number of computations required. And what that means is by lowering the number of computations required to uh, to solve um, the, the block, it would mean that you could reduce the amount of power needed. And what they're saying is they believe that this could reduce the amount of power needed by the chip for by about 15%. Um, and the chip would actually be much smaller in size, which would often mean there's less uh, cooling involved. But it is 15% going to solve the problem? I don't think so. Is it going to make it dramatically better and have an enormous impact? Yeah. Maybe instead of only using the power of uh, the entire nation of Ireland, maybe we'll just drop down to maybe, say, Luxembourg to, to this point. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I also think, you know, this is how innovation happens, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is certainly not Intel's first go around with this type of a problem, even in the blockchain space. They've actually previously sought patents related to crypto mining. In fact, it was Intel's foundry that uh, produced those chips for the mining operation uh, run by 21 Inc., which I believe was later rebranded mm. as Earn.com and then was ultimately acquired by Coinbase. So they've I did obviously not know been. That. Yeah, they've obviously been playing around in this space for some time. And uh, I mean, I'll take any percentage gains on the power needed for a chip. Uh, And I think that, you know, 15% is a great step in the right direction. Yeah. And I think it's, uh, I think it's much more realistic. The changes are going to be made by improving the energy efficiency of hardware versus saying that we are going to change the consensus method that Bitcoin is using. I, I, I just, maybe at some point we will look at that, but there are definitely no plans to do that in the in the near term. So I, I think that this is a really, really good step in the right direction, as you say. And Intel are another one that have come up a few times in the podcast. It's going to be interesting to see how that company, IBM, Amazon and many, many more that are now entering the space, what they do over the coming few months. Okay, so that's all we have time for today. Hopefully, this has been another interesting episode. Um, I just want to call back to say another thank you for everyone that's left us reviews. If you do get a second, go onto your favorite podcasting platform, the one that you've used to access the podcast right now, drop us a rating and review. And until then, make sure you join us next week for another episode of the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and want to show both myself and Austin your appreciation, we'd love it if you could spend some of your time adding a quick review on the iTunes store or your favorite podcasting platform. You can also check out and visit us at thecoinoffering.com. Follow us on Twitter at thecoinoffering. And you know what? You want to just shoot us a quick email, chat to us, make suggestions, tell us how terrible we are send us an email at podcast at thecoinoffering.com. Thanks, and hope you enjoy the next episode.
The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.